Hey y'all, thank you. Nope, that's not how this starts. Um, hey y'all, this is Jay Bowie of the Dance Union Podcast. Uh, I'm giving you this message just to let you know that Mercury came around and drop kicked us right in the throat while recording this episode. So you're going to hear some drumming from a beautiful 18 month old in the background, as well as the sound completely drops out towards the end of the episode. So we aren't able to do um, our normal wrap up. But I also just wanted to say thank you for bearing with us um, and thank you for continuing to listen anyways. And lastly, this is the final episode of um, me being in Trinidad and recording remotely. So all episodes from here on out are going to be uh, semi-live with everybody being in the studio instead of uh, using Skype calls because that did not work out as well as we thought it did. So thank you so much for listening and back to the podcast. Start a conversation like that nobody but I do But you are not a picture I can cut you up or hide you I'll get you on my mind uh, I try to buy you In my dreams I knew You knew how to beat it You knew how to treat it You knew how to keep it I wanna do more than touch you I'm trying to turn two single people into a couple What's your next month like? Tell me what you up to We can leave right now Nigga, you don't need a double La Perla, provocateur secrets How is it a secret? I know you're gonna peep it I see you peeking Don't wanna hit a peep Wait, before you speak Don't move cause I don't wanna wake up joining us thank you I'm glad to be here yeah how are you feeling I'm good um I had my cold brew so I'm I'm feeling more awake and yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all about it yeah well we've had a very tumultuous morning mm-hmm. and so we're really grateful to actually be recording this thing right now because it has been I won't say a hot mess but it hasn't been a cool one either no so that's where we are but, but you handled it with grace. Thank you. Yeah. I have to see, when you have, like, a lot of fire, sometimes you need someone to cool you, like, water. What, what's your sign? I'm an air sign. Nice! Yeah. Okay. Aquarius. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jay, how you feeling? 
I feel great. I also am a fire sign that doesn't like to be put out. I prefer to let myself burn out. So, like, when someone's like, oh, let me just like, help you calm down, I'm like, no, 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 no. That actually makes me angry because I'm going to burn out soon. It doesn't take you long to burn out. I just need to burn it out, you know? And that's yeah. good to know about you because I didn't. And then you clearly, um, you snapped at me a little bit. It, it, I mean, it hurt a little bit, but not too much because I still love you and I know you love me. But not no but. And I was like, okay. Yes. So for y'all. Yes, I'm so sorry. No, like, as soon as I started to talk, I was like, oh, no, she doesn't know this about me. Let me, let me quickly explain. Yeah, like when somebody comes in for a hug, when they see that I'm angry, I'm like, ooh. That actually, it just, like, turns it up like gasoline to me. It's funny because it was even a virtual. It was like, it's not even in real life. Right. Yeah. And Jay was still like, I reject that, and I'm going to tell you why. So. Respect. Right? I, I do respect it. All I right. love you guys. Love you. <laughs> so what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, rise on that left leg and attitude, Whoa. and we're going to stay on it for about 16 beats. We're going to come down into a wide, juicy second and to our next section, which is what you should have learned in history class, but you probably did not. This is literally my favorite thing about everything that you guys do. Yay! Yeah. So today I am going to chat about ballet legend and Cuban-American Fernando Mujones who was a principal dancer with American Ballet Theater from 1972 when he was 17 until 1985. He did some training with Alicia Alonso and the National Ballet of Cuba. And for a while, he was the artistic director at the Southern Ballet Theater in Orlando, Florida. Um, and so a lot of people mention him as being extremely humble. He had amazing technical skill, grace, and how he overcame a lot of adversity to rise to this beautiful, illustrious 30-year career in ballet. What years was he in ABT? ABT, he was uh, there 1972 through 1985. Okay. He left this plane of existence in 2005, and a lot of people talk about how untimely it was. He had, like, a melanoma issue, mm. so he was taken pretty quickly. And there's also an amazing interview with him in Brenda Dixon Gottschild's uh, Dancing Black, Bo Black Dancing Bodies, mm -hmm. uh, where he talks about the influence of uh, black dance, even in ballet. So that is Fernando Bujones. Thank you. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. I Yo, feel like there's so much to be said about, like, the importance of um, black bodies in ballet because when I studied dance history, there were still like the talks of the anatomy being different and how black people changed um, ballet for like not the better, you know, because we had different you know, different muscles, we had hips and all this other stuff. And we briefly like touched on Arthur Mitchell. Like when I say briefly, I mean like half of a class touched on more Arthur Mitchell and I'm like I know there has to be more to this there has to be more so thank you yeah and also you know I'll just briefly say my my history with ballet which is you know I started dancing when I was in ninth grade when it was offered for free and uh when I took ballet at what is now the the University of the Arts um in North Carolina 
I was 16 years old or 15. I was 15 years old and I bought these like ballet slippers. And actually my friend and I, we ran over them with her car so that they would look used so that people wouldn't know that this was our first time taking ballet. That was one. And then two, I always thought that I couldn't do a good arabesque because of my ass. And then finally someone was like, no, you just need a teacher with an ass who can help show you how to move and work your, your leg around that delicious meat. They did say delicious meat. That's my ad. Um, and I so, wish they had. Right? Yeah. So eventually I might go back to it, but right now I have such a tumultuous relationship with it to the point where, you know how you so, can have like yeah. a modern class and you're breathing and you feel good. The moment someone says, oh, now it's ballet, I get tight. Dude. My joints are rejecting it. So I feel that's so hard. Well, I did ballet from, like I'm a bunhead. Like I grew up age 8 to 18 doing really intense classical ballet and – yeah, shit is traumatic. Yeah. Or I just think, like, the the mindset. Even when I try to go back and take ballet now, I used to take more ballet, like, being in New York. But I would go in and I would immediately be like, I feel really intense and I'm comparing myself to others. And I, I also, like, I developed earlier than a lot of the girls in ballet class. And so I was always like, my boobs, why do I have boobs? I hate my boobs. It just creates, I mean, it's a culture of talk. Not that it has to inherently be a toxic culture, but I think the ways it represents Western, European, white beauty standards and the mm-hmm. ways that's working on us, like, it's still in the form. Right. And this is why I'd be, I would be interested to sort of learn more about how Fernando moved through it, because even some videos that I watched, they were using this beautiful uh, Cuban music during his bar work, and mm. I was like, oh, my gosh, I, like my love for it completely shifted just seeing it to mm. different music. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I really I really like to like just say this out loud so that we can plan for it in the future, have an episode dedicated to um ways in which ballet have become more accessible in like over the years. Because I've like purposely been using um not palette ballet sorry, not not traditional ballet, piano or like classical slash um, string music in my ballet classes when I teach in the Bronx because I, I can see how how that affects all of my like black and brown students' bodies when they hear that versus when I play like Beyonce or the new Cardi B Queen version album. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it does so much because it's like all I needed all I needed to do was have a cadence so that you know how to use ah. your time and your plie. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. classical. That makes sense. That's good work. Yeah. So now we're going to move into our main um, topic, which I'm close to and I know most artists are, which is how to face rejection, which is huge. And as I like to say, every no gets me closer to my yes. So I'm actually kind of addicted to no's. That's good. I should take that. Yeah. So so I feel like with this conversation about um, rejection, I do think it is good to start with, or maybe what do you guys think, about talking about rejection let like what they look like the different forms of rejection yeah. artists receive which that first is that really uh blanketed general ambiguous no that you get in that email or actually maybe before that never hearing no like never hearing either way mm. you know have you had a situation like that uh i think i have it's like i think i've blocked it out i remember that happening and and it being this confusing thing where it's like I never fully, like, 
swallowed the no because I just never heard either way. And then it was like a trickle into realization over time that, oh, I guess that means I didn't. And then I, by then it's like I didn't care. Do you know what I mean? Because I only have that realization like a month after mm. I was supposed to have heard something. Right. So I that has happened. I can't remember exactly like what opportunity or why, but I remember that feeling. Yeah. What about like, and Jay, you can, um, you know, fall in on this too. Like when you get that no that says, and we can't give you feedback. Oh, yeah. Ugh. That, that, the part where they say we can't give you feedback is one that I get very, I get kind of frustrated with, not, and not at the people, but more at like the structure, because sometimes I'm like, maybe you're just taking too many applicants and I understand you can't possibly give feedback to a hundred people who applied, even like 30 people who applied. But I think maybe there's feedback that can be given to the last eight that you considered, or maybe let's say you, you let the, you let everybody know that there's going to be like a, a tiered process and whoever makes it to that last tier is going to be mm-hmm. able to get feedback because that's, it's important to help strengthen our field. And I think that's where I want to see more feedback go is to not only like empower artists to continue to make and let them know that, you know, the no isn't a, your work is bad. No, it's a, it may be no for other reasons. And an encouraging note, but also to continue to strengthen the field so that um, for simple things like we didn't like your application because we couldn't, the video quality uh, was so illegible, essentially, that we couldn't see the actual work. So please apply again with the stronger video quality. You know what I mean? That's something simple like that that can be sent and we can grow from. Yeah. Yeah, I just got a no where it was like, but you were in the final round. But we're not giving feedback. And I, I was like, Ugh. I don't do, like, I've been pushing back on that shit a lot because it's, it's really annoying. My thing is, if you took the time to read the application and tell me no, you can tell me why you said no. Mm-hmm. Even if it was, we actually read the first couple sentences and it wasn't a good fit. Whatever it is. So if you don't want to give me feedback, well, let me give you some. You need <laughs> to figure out how to give people feedback. Yeah. Because this is this is what's going to like make our application stronger. This is going to help us sort of self-select whether this institution is even for for us, what this opportunity is for us. Um, and then, of course, I get a lot, of, I've had several conversations about this with other people and then being like, you know, well, the panel only gets this much compensation, time, da, da, da. There's a lot of other factors that totally. make it difficult for feedback to happen. And I also feel like we need to address those so that we're also responding to the people that you claim to serve, which are artists. Yeah, because then it also creates a unidirectional power structure where, like, you can only tell, like, you, the the institution has the power and is just telling the person below, the artist, like, no, you're not allowed in. And then there's no other, there's no discourse happening. You know, it's just top down. Mm-hmm. And, like, artists need to be able to speak back, okay, but tell me more, okay. Like, creating an actual conversation. Because otherwise it's just a, a power structure that then no one can enter into. Or only those who have been, like, given that you know very lucky opportunity and then they have this privy knowledge that oh my work is good enough in this way and I now I understand that but then the other person who one day wants to get in can never then you know continue to iterate their project or the way they're talking about their project to be able to access it and then it creates further you know uh like inequity really right you know what y'all can I just say there's a word that I've been trying to think of 
in my rehearsal process and I just it just came to me so I'm going to say it dissonance and I don't know why it just came to me just now I've been like trying to remember that d word for mm-hmm. a very long time there's something else I was going to say about um this like this relationship that's one way in that perhaps you don't provide feedback for everyone but only those who ask for it because there are yeah. some artists who don't want it some. yeah some people like I think yeah it can get it can be disruptive to hear so much feedback Mm-hmm. You know, where you're then, oh, you're not, or especially I've had the experience of getting completely different feedback from different sources or different opportunities about the same project and then being like, wow, I don't actually know how to contextualize this then, or I'm hearing different things. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to be strategic when I'm getting such different advice. Yeah. I have a question. Has there been a situation where either of you have gotten a no from a space several times, but you kept applying and then you finally got your Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you go. But I guess technically the first residency I had, which was with Shea Bushwick, I applied three times, and on the third time I got it. And um, what I learned after the second time, getting ready to apply for the third time, was that um, people in the office who, or people, and also people who were like on the panel and in the dance community, started to know me and my work because I was applying so often. And um, it wasn't as if I was like beating the door down or I was um, just badgering them. I th- the what came off when um, I became aware that people were starting to notice my name and my work was that they they were seeing the work grow because I was applying with the same work each time, and they were really happy to see that like oh yes he's applying for the same thing and we can see where he's growing we can see where he's going with this and that was actually the the time that um, Elena and I. And as well as many other artists became um, artists of residence that year or that cycle. But I will say, I got, I kept getting those, but I, I got, I learned a lot through um, those no's, which the, I will say though the institution didn't necessarily tell me. I just, I just started to ask more questions, but we can get to that part later. That's, oh, I wanted to add you guys. My name is pronounced Elena. Thank you. And Elena. I'm bad at Thank saying you. it early on because then, uh, whatever, I'm bad at saying that. So I wanted to Thank interject you. that. Now that you've told me how to pronounce your name, I'm just going to say it all the time and I'm going to do Great. a shoulder thing. Mm-hmm. Great. So, I love it. Elena. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank wow. you. It is. Okay, sorry, Elena. I cut you off because you're answering um, Melanie's question. Oh. Oh, well, actually, yeah, Jay, I had the same experience with Shea Bushwick. I had applied the year prior and, or maybe even two, like, I can't recall if it was my third time playing or my second time, but it definitely felt like, yeah, by continuing to apply, I, people were becoming, you know, aware of my work and yeah, it served me. There's definitely, I've had other instances of that or spaces that like right now, I've been rejected from multiple times, but I plan to continue to apply to. And I know that, you know, that just maintaining a relationship with an organization, even if you're not yet in the door, I think is valuable. Yeah. I've also been, I've applied to several places several times, and actually now I'm keeping a spreadsheet because I, although I also have an addiction to applying to things, like I love the hope and possibility of getting something. I also have to sort of evaluate sometimes whether or not a space is actually a space I want to exist in and whether I should keep using my resources to apply to it. And I also keep all of my no's. So I have a folder with Elena. Elena, you can see it right over here. I have a no folder where I keep all of my residency no's. No. Oh, yeah. And it's actually kind of fun. 
Like, I want to do something with oh, it. Oh, you're so organized, Melanie. Look at this. <laughs> We've gotten, well, 32. <laughs> I'm going to do this. This is inspiring. 32 no's, but that's only 2016 and 17. Okay, I'm going to do that. Wow. Right? Yeah. Oh, talking about no's, there was, um, I've done this also with my Fresh Tracks application the first time I applied, and this was because, one, it was a letter versus like an email, so that made it easier to frame, and second, it was very, very encouraging. Um, the, the no was basically like, you know, uh, you made it to the last round, you're basically an alternate, but also um, somebody wrote in um, after like the type message about like how moved the panel was about my work and they would like to see me go further and to like that's the number that said like, you know, if you need any support and at all, um, or if you would like for us to see your performances of this work, let us know. And I was like, wow, that is, that's the best no I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually Twitter had a day where the number one hashtag was share your rejections. So a lot of people were talking about like romantic rejections and things like that, but somebody shared a framed rejection that they got for a writing submission from the Paris Review. I'm actually going to send a, a attach a link to this tweet in the um, in the show description wherever you're listening. But also I just want to like hit some of the highlights of it, and I sent it to you as well, um, Elena and Melanie. But um, the first part was just the the person who wrote the rejection letter started off by expressing appreciation for the applicant's uh, patience because I understand it takes a while to even like hear back. But also wrote in about how um, how strong the actual work was, how the panel was moved by the work, or how the panel thought it was um, a strong piece of work. But also gave like some critical and constructive feedback about the individual characters in the work. So you can tell that the the people, or the person who wrote this and the people who reviewed the work actually read it versus something general. Like, you know, I don't even know. I can't even think of something general. But it was like, you know, this specific character, for example, seems too minor and too minor a character to warrant that amount of attention he receives, um, the scenes with Joshua, and so on and so forth. So I thought when I read this, I was like, this is the kind of engagement from a no or from a rejection letter that will actually really inquire, that will not inquire me, that would uh, inspire me to apply again and also just stay engaged with the organization as a whole because it seems as if they they tend to care not only for the craft but also for the artists who are making work. There's also like, I had an experience getting a no and then getting feedback that really shaped my work, like really like changed the way my next piece came about because well I can share that briefly like it was I applied for the Abrams airspace residency and they said I they were like you were in the top round but you didn't get it but we can you know Allie the director of programming there was like I can like let's have a phone call and I can give you the panel's feedback and she I was making this piece trying to deal with um like dystopia and whiteness and I had hired a friend who's a performer who's a woman of color to get upset with my work in the middle of it. So it was like a staged interruption where we were, she was like problematizing what I was doing on stage. And it was just interesting because they were like, the panel was like, yeah, they were super into this investigation, but they were also like, but you're continuing to maintain control of the critique, which is not necessarily upsetting white culture. And I was like, Ah. that's huge that they were able to even yeah they, that. it was genius yeah. I mean I was like whoa this is such uh you know necessary and helpful and intelligent critique and so then I was like whoa 
I'm trying. That's where. So then my process has been since shifting from that. Really, that phone call like really shaped a lot of my work since. Like that's so helpful, and and it makes me also think about the different degrees of rejection. So obviously, a lot of rejection we receive is uh, digital, like in an email, or mm-hmm. you can talk to someone about it. But like. Let's step into when you get it in person. So, like, these folks that are doing auditions and <laughs> you immediately know within, like, you know, someone's looking you in your face yeah. and saying, no, thank you. And that kind of rejection, I think, I when I first moved to New York, I went to more, like, trying to be a dancer auditions. And um, I found it so dehumanizing and also yes. so built on I couldn't help but feel like it's built on superficiality like it's built on like body type and race and these things that like are not my full personhood you know mm-hmm. and I was like I can't mm-mm. like I was just like no I'm done I think auditions are for people who audition well because there are people who there are artists who grow into into certain projects there like yeah you're right it does not take into consideration the entire human Jay, did you do a lot of auditions? Um, I did. To be honest, no. I just realized that I haven't. I haven't done many auditions, due in part because um, I think the universe has just prevented me from being able to. Like most times when I want to audition for something, I'm not able to go there. So the like five times I've actually auditioned for something in my life, I've kind of gotten them. No, I lied. Just like two, I haven't. But I would say many of the things have been offered to me. Like companies have been like, oh, we need a dancer. Would you like to come in and work with us? Or mm-hmm. we need somebody to choreograph for this thing. Would you like to show your work for senior work? So my career is more based, have been based off of someone seeing something and asking me to be a part of it or someone recommending me to be a part of it. That's the option. So I have less to offer there. Yeah. So actually, Jay, you brought up this really good article uh, called The Six Ways to Get Better at Getting Rejected, which, all right, let's get better and get rejected. But I mean, not but and. Um, I mean, I guess some of them are helpful. We'll see. Do you want to go through them? Yeah, I read it before coming and I'm like, yeah, like I, I agree with this article, but I also think um it doesn't take into account the ways like there needs structural change needs to also happen. Yes, you know. Yes, yeah. I would like to look at this with um, sharing ways and views that aren't addressed in the article as well. Great, beautiful. So yeah. the the first uh, sort of tip is to avoid the three Ps, and for them, the three Ps is uh, asking yourself, does it feel personal, permanent, and pervasive. So I don't have any feelings about these three Ps. What about y'all? I mean, I just think, like, of course, I don't know, like, of course, yeah, like, if, I don't know, to put yourself in an audition situation where you would even be feeling a threat to your personal, like, selfhood, your long-term permanent being, your like, a pervasive sense of self, like, all of these things, I'm, like, I'm worried that it, someone could even begin to near the three Ps in that scenario you know yep like it's i'm like stressed out for that person who's actually reading this article and like oh my god i need help with like that's stressing me out yeah yeah jay any feelings about the three p's (laughs) um mm, i want to circle back to it because i think when we get to the other things it'll make my response a little bit more sense (laughs) okay 
Cool. The second thing is to look at the evidence. So, if you feel like you're a lousy dancer, look back at the data and say, hey, wait, am I though lousy? Right. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that because I think we um, often get to a position where um, certain kind of rejections and also um, accomplishments kind of define our entire career or our entire like artistic view of ourselves. And that's, it's easy to fall into that. And my mom would always say, in the, in the eye of the public, you're only as good or as bad as your last situation, which she is saying that to like, let me know how fickle the world can be, but to encourage me to have a more realistic and longer view of my work. So yeah, try not mm-hmm. to, try not to let this rejection define you as an artist because First of all, I, sometimes I'm like, you couldn't even be gotten into this room if you weren't great in the first place. Right. Like, you know. I think, yeah, thank you for saying, like, the fickleness. And also, there's something about the preciousness, too. Because sometimes, I'm at a point now where I'm like, you know what? I am not a shitty person, but I just said a shitty thing. Or, you know, I'm not a bad dancer, but today I refuse to get on this leg. And, I'm, you know, it might be the biometric mm-hmm. pressure. It might be gravity. It could be what I ate for breakfast. But let me be real that, like, today is not hitting it. Um Especially, or, like, this makes me think, too, part of why I, like, stopped going to auditions for a certain type of dance is because I was, like, this is um, creating a standard. There's a sort of, like, oh, you're a bad dancer if you can't kick your leg up this high. Do you know what I mean? There's creating, like, a a standard of um, ability or worth, Mm -hmm. which I'm now, like, this is why I love the experimental dance scene, like, downtown dance, because it's completely redefining what good is. And so, to me now, my only sense of failure is, like, energy. Like, if I show up and I'm not I'm not giving it, mm-hmm. that I can feel like, oh, man, I need to work on that. But if I really showed up and did what I felt I could do and really brought my energy and my presence and my body and all of these things, then, and if someone tells me no, then I'm like, well, like, then I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. For me, the failure, not failure, but, like, where I was starting to be like, ooh, you didn't do that well, is if... If whatever situation starts to make me question who the hell I think I am mm. or, or my confidence or, you know what I mean? Like, if I allow something to get under me that much, then there's a problem. But I also sometimes wonder, like, I don't know if that problem, that problem isn't totally with you. That problem might also be with the people saying that to you or the structure or the ways that it's, like, occupying a large swath of the cultural landscape. And so then it makes you think it's the only way to be and then you feel bad about yourself. For sure. You know what I mean? It's like... You know, if I, I know that if I go into a ballet class, is a high probability it's going to make me feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, like, mm-hmm. feel like shit. So as if, I, if I choose to go in that space, I should know that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to use the energy to shift it, that's one thing. But if I'm not, you know what I mean? Like Then don't, yeah. Exactly. Same thing with auditions. It's like there is a high probability it's going to make you feel a certain way mm-hmm. if the outcome isn't. So already prepare for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is where we should... Um, allow our goals to shift and not to be just stagnant because some auditions in my first audition in New York I actually was like I have no idea who is even in this city I've been here for three days so my my goal is to just like show my face and shake hands mm-hmm. like when and 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 then there's some auditions where I was like I want the job <laughs> so but to have those goals to shift for the situation also to shift for things shift the shit <laughs> to shift for things <laughs> that um 
that are like really natural as well. There was like a performance I had at Judson Church in May where I was so exhausted from like the year. The year is just so exhausted. And I was like, I just need to get up and do the thing. It doesn't matter what, what it looks like, what, you know, what um, steps I hit and what steps I miss. I just need to get up and do the thing and make it the full performance because that is an accomplishment for where I'm at right now. Yes. When I want to just mm-hmm. lay down and nap for three days, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we need to be able to allow our goals to shift um, as we continue to move through this next world. Yeah. I think that kind of also goes in line with the next thing of the article, which is to get perspective, you know, so understand that this experience, the world out, there's a world outside of this experience, kind of Jay, like what you were saying of like, I'm taking into consideration my entire body and being and the year that I've had, and that's going to be influential into how I show up in this space right now. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, like, something I feel with auditions or any actual, actually any situation in which I'm facing rejection or could be potentially rejected is a feeling of powerlessness, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, I don't actually have control over my own happiness because someone could reject me. And so when I think about the fact that wow. other parts of my life I can have control over, I feel a lot more grounded in those. Like, those situations can really ground me when I'm otherwise facing this experience of powerlessness. Right. So, like, it's almost like before and after you go into a, an audition experience, like, remember and remind yourself of those things that you can connect to to ground you in a space of happiness that exists whether or not this audition happened mm-hmm. or not. Even with, like, applications for choreographic opportunities, I'm like, I'm still going to go in the studio and feel control over my own experience, even if X institution makes me feel powerless as an artist sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that um, one thing I'm practicing is um, to, like, write down the list, like, um, both a tangible and, like, an ephemeral um, list of things that um, I already have so that if I don't have, if I don't get the job, if I don't get the residency, if I don't get the opportunity to show my work, I don't lose anything. And I think that's part of what um, my feelings were based in when I got quote unquote rejected was um, like, oh my God, I feel like I lost this opportunity. And I was like, first of all, the opportunity wasn't technically presented to me yet. (laughs) I'm still asking for it. So to not get it doesn't mean I actually lost anything. Like, you know, I, I shot for it. I did my best. But, you know, I lost nothing. I still have my rent paid. I still have, you know, my ability to dance, try again. You know what I mean? So when I when I write those things down, that rejection feels a lot more, um, uh, sorry, not a lot more, a lot less um, negatively impactful. Right. And I think, too, sort of leading into the next thing, which is um, finding positivity and productivity, is that for me, I always try to think of it like this, like when a door closes, a window opens. So this not getting this opportunity means that there is something else out there that is for me and I'm and actually the universe is making space for it. Totally. You know, I have to say my life literally like I am in New York and making art because of a rejection. Like I got rejected from I was a finalist for the Fulbright to go do a master's Ooh. degree. And it was like the first time I had really been rejected because I was like, you know, that kid, like I went to Yale. Like it was like I got the things that I wanted that were hard to get. And I felt awesome and entitled to those things. And then when I got rejected from the Fulbright, I was going to do a master's in dance studies. Mm-hmm. And my backup plan was to go get a job in museum curation, like go into like art, like visual art sort mm-hmm. of spaces. But then I realized I was really sad that I wasn't going to be dancing in that master's program and I was like wait a minute I think I care more about dance than I realized 
let me actually get a job at a at a dance organization in New York and try to feel out the scene and do that and then here we are yes so like I'm actually like thankful now looking back that I got rejected Mm -hmm. because I think I would be in a PhD program in art history right now and be like a very un like yeah unexamined art historian you know white girl sitting in a library all day like Mm -hmm. I could be a different person Elena Elena can you um talk a little bit more about entitlement I know we had a little email conversation about entitlement but I really would like Yeah, I mean, I've just been thinking about why, like, how entitlement plays into our experiences of rejection. You know, like, if you think you deserve it or if you think you get it, then the, that you think you should get it, then the experience of rejection can be sort of worse. But also just thinking about, like, like, when I've examined my own entitlement, and I use that word sort of, I'm trying to use it sort of neutrally, because I think some entitlement can be good. Like, people deserve to feel that they deserve something, you know? So, like, entitlement neutrally could just be the feeling that we... And I got this from Museum Mammy. Do you guys follow her on Instagram? No. Oh, my God. Kimberly Drew, she's um, a curator at... Or she's not a curator. She does social media at the Met. And she posted this thing about... She's, I forget exactly what she said, but it was essentially, like, I'm trying to remember that entitlement just means I deserve something. And um, I think that, like, that is a beautiful idea, but also when I consider my own experience with entitlement, it's, you know, when your whole world has been telling you like, yeah, you deserve this, you deserve that. And it obviously intersects with the ways we've been raised and the ways we've been, um, you know, integrated into a particular culture or environment and identity politic too, you know? So I've just been thinking about like, wow, I've really been entitled in the past. And so now, so rejection was actually really hard for me in the past because I felt so much like, excuse me, you know, Mm -hmm. like I deserve this. Um, And now examining that, I think I'm trying to reach a place where I'm realizing like, okay, entitlement. Yeah, just what I wrote in that email, which is like, I don't deserve everything. More like we all deserve Yes. Something which could potentially be everything, you know, one day in some beautiful world. But I think I just think you can expand this conversation to address race politics, to address um, hierarchies and address systems of value. And I feel like this should definitely be a a follow up, another another conversation to really delve into it. And I had this vision as you were saying that that we should figure out and play a game called. I'm entitled. And then that way people can get examples of how they are either embracing their entitlement or the ways it's manifesting, even if they don't think that they're acting in that way. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's brainstorm Like the good all. and bad versions of this yeah. statement. Yeah. So, I, yeah, we should all brainstorm about, like, a follow-up. We'll do that. Cool. What do you think, Jay? I'm, I'm doing a thumbs up because I hear the lawnmower in the background. It's frustrating me. Oh. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool. So, let's see. The uh, second to last thing of this article is fake it till you feel it. Uh, no. You guys are no. pro on this one? I'm pro on this one. I'm not. You can tell Really? Oh, I hate it. Tell me why you hate it. Because I think there's, um, okay, so I, I used to be, maybe, maybe I hate it because of, like, my current self and my past self. My past self loved this. My past self did this so often this whole life smiling and acting like I'm happy, really happy to be here, all this other stuff. And what it did for me during classes and, and rehearsals and any other setting 
stance-wise, where I really wasn't feeling it, is that I was spending more energy trying to fake feeling like I want to be there than actually giving to the craft. And then when something something shifted in my adult life when I moved to New York that my feelings are valid and even though they're in the room, sorry, even though I'm asked to check my feelings at the room, actually bringing them into the room helps inform my craft and it also doesn't require me to split my energy. So trying to keep all of this relationship at the back or trying to, or relationship problems at the back or keep my family troubles at the back, coming in with like, with melancholy or coming in with anger and using that as part of my craft can help really inform the process or even as for an audition can help um, color my, my artistry in a way that can help me stand apart. So I will, always, I will actually say to be as authentic to yourself as possible, especially if you can get into the room. Once you get into the room, that's already half the work. Now be angry and dance. Be sad and dance. Cry and dance. You know, you, know, you never know how it's going to help. I completely concur. I feel like this this sentiment is very inauthentic. This fake it till you feel it, and it also ignores or tells us to ignore how the damn well we feel, and that is problematic. Like totally, totally, totally. I'm taking a different reading. Like I totally like, agree with you guys, and I think dissociation or like not acknowledging the reality of our experience is not. I'm not about that. That's not what I mean. I'm I'm actually sort of ignoring everything else they're saying in this article about this <laughs> idea, but I think. Just the idea of fake it till you, I also like fake it till you make it. Like, cause I think it's a way to combat imposter syndrome, you know, where you don't feel like you deserve it again. But then if no one does, you know, like so often we're dealing with insecurities. So if I'm facing rejection, but I'm like, no, I, I am still awesome. And I, I'm going to go to this audition and be like, I'm a killer and I deserve this. It's a way to, it's a way to, you know, to, to psych ourselves into the excellence we can have yeah. and be. I mean, I hear that, and it's interesting, and I can't really fully explain it, but I like the phrase, fake it till you make it. When you say fake it till you feel yeah, it. Yeah, super real, for super so, different. Like, Ooh, That's real. I feel a little differently about it. That's real, because you're not maybe ever going to feel it. Yeah, there's a distinction there. So. Thanks, but we're going to pass on that one. <laughs> Thanks, um, And then the last thing is love the process. Or I would like to add in parentheses, or just like it a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And and I and actually, I'm gonna disagree with this one as well because you don't have to love the process. In that, like as we said before, there are so many systematic things that are problematic with um, auditions. But what I will say is that when I was going to auditions, I looked at them as a free dance class. Yeah. And in that respect, I loved it. Or a community building moment. Like, I'm, I'm, I've I'm, met so many people who are now my friends in the dance community from some of those random auditions I went to right. when I first moved here. Because we yeah. all sat rejected on the sidewalk together. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> when I receive, you know, the feedback we're talking about or the no's from certain organizations, then I take, often I'll take a second look at the writing I submitted and then continue to iterate it and to be like, oh, you know, it could improve in these ways. Or maybe I should take another look at that work sample I submitted. Like, maybe there's a better one. So, Jay, do you love the process? Um, I have to say, like, yes and no. I would say I love the process of, like, being an artist, being a dance artist, creating your, your community and your craft and things like that. But I would also say, like, the process of rejection. I don't know if that's something to love, like, or to, or to just accept. And I think that's kind of where I'm, my know is at. Just accept the process that, you know, feedback isn't always going to be applicable immediately or at all. 
um, no's are not always going to feel great or even, and, and sometimes no's might not even affect you at all. There's a few no's I got where I was kind of like, did I actually get this or did I get rejected? I can't tell. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to do it anyway. You know? <laughs> so I think finding a way to just accept that rejection slash um, not getting your intended result is, is a part of the process because as a, as a whole art making and artistry, is about having a desired goal and a desired effect and finding out that you landed somewhere near it, but not necessarily on the mark, but still staying with it anyways. So I think that's what their intent is saying. It's like, you know, just stay in it. It's not, this isn't the, your, your rejection isn't the end of the world. But at the same time, um, I don't know if I want to tell someone to love it. I would say like, accept it, girl, move on. Right. Yeah, it's a long game. Like, I think, I agree. I don't know that I love... I don't love rejection and I don't love that I have to rely on external sources of validation to reject me or accept me. Like, I don't love that about the structure of being an artist, how we're literally, we rely on institutions for financial and, you know, like material support. And we literally can't do our thing without other institutions, you know? Right. Or if we do, then we have to work really, really hard to gather the material resources to do that, which many people do, and I totally respect that, and I'm trying to do more of that. But I think, like, yeah, it feels like a necessary evil in the way the world, especially and, like, arts funding in the United States is structured right now. Like, yeah, we will have to experience rejection, which sucks. Right. Cool. Okay. Well, um, now we're in our announcement section. So, Elena. Do you have any announcements? I do. Um, I am. Okay. What is my announcement? On September, what is it? September 20th through 22nd, um, I and uh, Evelyn Sanchez, who I'm collaborating with, um, we are presenting a performance through a new series at Abrams called uh, By Association. And it's September 20th through 22nd at 7.30 p.m. And um, Abrams invited me to show work. And then I invited uh, Pallavi Sen, who's a visual artist. And then Pallavi invited music slash performance artist Bully Faye Collins to present work. So it's like this constellation of uh, performances. And we're, I'm sharing an evening with Evelyn and I. Um, are sharing an evening with Pallavi on Thursday, and then Pallavi Bully Friday, and then Bully Us Saturday. And the piece um, that I'm making with Evelyn is called Empire of Love. And yeah, it's exciting. Come. I'm excited. I, I definitely, Yay. yeah, I definitely want to come. Saturday, I'm performing twice. Yeah. And, Real. but the second performance. See, look, I told you it was going to cut out. So, this is what you can do. We were just talking about um, what performances and events we have coming up next. What you can do is go into the description box wherever you're listening and check out our websites and our social media handles. We post those in every episode for myself and Melanie as well as for any guests that we have on the podcast. Um, but in the meantime, I just want to say thank you so much for listening and bearing through this very difficult episode. Um, I will also want to say have a great end of your summer because she's done now. She's over. She's making her way out. And we have next is fall, which is just cold, comfy weather and um, pumpkin spice flavored things, which, all right. <laughs>
you might enjoy that. I don't. Have a great time. Thank you for listening. We out. Before you speak, don't move, cause I don't wanna break, break, break up. I don't wanna wake, wake up. It's such a dream. If you can believe, boy, it's such a dream to me. Mama, mama, mama. You better not mess with my baby. <laughs>